Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sacred Space Podcast. My name is Gina Stockton, and I am so thrilled that you are joining me today. You know, there are moments in our lives, seminal moments that are catalytic in our formation as humans and in our formation spiritually. I feel so strongly about reclaiming testimony and testifying to how God has moved, how he's met us, how he's changed us, and how he has brought healing and restoration. And today's guest is Colin Ferris. He is a friend of mine. He's a husband, a father. He is a deep well, and he has an amazing story, a journey with God from when he was a child of these moments in his life where through people and moments formed him and shaped him and called him to this discovery of the love of Jesus and who God is as Father, and then demonstrated redemption through his own journey as a father. My hope is that this conversation will help you to see the ways in which God has provided and met you on your journey with him. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in the sacred space. So Colin, hi. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Me too. Thanks for my Chipotle. You're welcome. We're plugging Chipotle already. We're plugging Chipotle Mm -hmm. and um, for 20% off. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. So I uh, get to work with your beautiful wife, Kaimana. She is a remarkable worship pastor, worship leader, and um, she's become a friend and I just love her and you are a drummer on our worship team and um you guys have four kiddos and since i've been here and um just gotten to know both of you um you're just somebody i've wanted to have a conversation with for a long time because you're a deep well and a quick rewind born in santa maria kindergarten places me around five so what's going on then prior to five My mom and dad divorced, so this is context, when I was two, and then mom remarries when I'm five, but upon birth I'm born with severe club feet, Mm. and the tech these days for dealing with that condition is obviously more advanced, but then by severe, if you were to take your hand and flex your palm upward with your arm, arm out straight and your fingers pointing to the sky, sky, that's a normal foot. Mm -hmm. And then if you were to keep your arm there and then point your fingers to the ground and kind of curl them up towards your forearm. Yeah. That, that was my foot upon birth. So, you know, it took a couple surgeries to make it, make it more normal, we'd say. Mm -hmm. And, and so in kindergarten, you know, I have a new dad, not yet but they're engaged to be married. And I'm in a wheelchair during kindergarten Mm. because it's the summer is when they have, I think it's the second major corrective surgery. Um, Pins are in the feet, cast are on both legs. Wow. And so I have a pretty spectacular older sister named Claire. Mm -hmm. And she's at times wheeling me to school when I'm not too ratty to wheel myself. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a moment when I'm on the, on the playground and I got punched in the stomach and I don't know who it was and all the winds knocked out of me and the bell rings. And I'm, obviously, I can't wheel myself in. It's, it's sunny Everything is supposed to be right in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the swings are still swinging from kids jumping off them. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's me, kind of gasping for air. And I'm obviously confused. Like, why did it happen? Who did it? Yeah. <laughs> Where did it come from? What did I do? And so I'm there wheeling myself back up the ramp. And... Get in, get in late, and then that's where the memory kind of fades. 
<laughs> so that's the first memory, I would say, hmm. with a little bit of context I've given you, that I think it might be worth unpacking yeah. a bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, I think that for most of us, kindig- well, you would hope that that age, that five, kindergarten, is still that time of innocence. It's still that time of, like, joy and discovery. Typically, you know, you hope that it's at least first grade or later before hmm. kids start experiencing, you know, the that the world is not, you know, always a great place and, and everything yeah. like that. But those are a lot of things against you. I mean, how did you... Were you dealing with physical pain in the midst of that as well, like with pins in your feet and mm. everything? And and how do you feel like that moment? How did how did that kind of set a trajectory? The moment, if I look at my life and I see that moment and all the questions I asked, who did this? Why did it happen? What did I do to have this happen? Why isn't anyone stopping this? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Why is this permitted? And then why do I have to be late? Why do I have to wheel myself back into the classroom by myself? On my yeah, own why power? did nobody notice? Yeah, this is terrible. But it's not the worst story. Yeah. By any stretch. But I think it's one of my favorite stories because it's a story of, it's a reservoir hmm. uh, of strength and perspective. For all the Goggins fans out there, it would be one of your cookies in the cookie jar, mm-hmm. if you know what that means. It's something that initially was obviously at five I don't have the language acquisition yet yeah in the complex thought to say what I'm about to say yeah so these pieces and these ideas attach themselves to me as I grew up I say attach themselves because I don't think they were all true Mm. and so for instance my biological father left and so life is happening to me yeah I can't do anything about it yeah and, and then the next leap from that is, this is just how it is. Yeah. This is what you deserve. Yeah. So you're born with this. You have a surgery shortly after you're born. Your dad's left. Yeah, you're getting a new one. You yeah. don't know that yet. But this is the... So don't whine about it. Don't complain. Yeah. Suck it up. Yeah. I think it's a realistic perspective or interpretation of those events. They they read really well together. Yeah. But I, that's not where I've landed on, yeah. on yeah. those events. No, that's good because I think that, <clears throat> you know, like you said, things, life happens to us in a lot of ways. So we're a child, we come into the world and there's all these things we don't have control over, right? Yeah. You don't have control over how you come out of the womb and your physical, yeah. you know, how you're put together and yeah. or what's missing yeah. <laughs> or what isn't functioning, you know, whatever. And who your people are. And who your people are yeah. and how your people respond and how mm-hmm. you are or are not nurtured, how you are or not loved. And in order to survive, we build mechanisms to cope and deal with and process the things that we're interpreting, right? And yeah. some of those things that we build are how we interpret some of those things that we build are how we respond. And some of those things we build are to protect us. Oh, I see. That's how that goes. And so therefore I'm going to build this for safety. Right. Yeah. And all of those things are really survival, but they also end up creating things. Right. So like when, you know, if you want to hyper spiritualize things, you can go to, I always talk about strongholds. Right. And sometimes we go to verses like, you know, I need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's great. But if I'm doing that in my own strength, then I don't address the first verse, which is I've given you authority to tear every high, tear down every high thing that has exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Hmm. Um, tear down every stronghold, excuse me, and every high thing. So if I don't deal with the stronghold, I'm not going to be able to deal with the thought, right? So if you take that even to life, even to things like this that seem seemingly just the way life has hit you, this child, this boy, um, okay, I'm broken somehow, I need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. My dad's left, so I must really be broken somehow, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, all of those things build ideas and then some, then 
these modes of self-protection that become can become strongholds and those lies and those things of unworth or unlovable or whatever rejection, whatever those things may be, they get fortified. Yeah. And the thing that kind of is built for self-protection sometimes then gets in the way in our future life to receive love, to receive God as father, you know, all those things. Some are way less spiritual (laughs) than that, but that's just a, a way that those things can be built. So as just a tiny human, you're drawing conclusions based on your limited understanding. Right. Now, as you're older, you can look back and see the reservoir and so you can start interpreting and you can start recognizing the gifts in that and the deficits in that and how you were able to navigate your way, mm-hmm. you know, to this side. So here you are, this boy, these are your experiences. And then your mom remarries. I'm curious, like, how was that? Like, I was stoked. You were stoked, yeah. Oh, I was thrilled. Yeah. Yeah, I I still remember sitting in these mid-century modern, like, circle back chairs that the top of it was where my head reached. So, (laughs) and it sunk down into it. And I'm looking across at the judge. And he said, this guy wants to adopt you and be your dad. Are you okay with that? And, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> unequivocally how, like yes how did he marry your mom and then the adoption come way later or was it like no it was it was quick hmm. yeah no tim was tim was on it that way but hmm. also alan i think that was also part of the part of the negotiation if you will alan's the biological father and at the time for him it was okay you're gonna you want to adopt these kids then why should i still pay child support Mm, which yeah. in, which in my mind is, that's a really fair question. He's cutting himself off. Right. Basically. He's, he's giving up access and the yeah. rights of a father. And for him to ask that, and I don't know who asked what and how it happened. It's, this is where yeah. the, the corners of the memory fade, but it's totally fine in my mind, but I know that was a piece of it. So that's interesting. But it's finding your mind. Did it's you finding have... my mind because Tim, the depth of Tim's mm. taking on that mantle of responsibility of father Yeah. was like, no, I got these kids. Yeah. It sounds like he, he didn't just have you in terms of custodial responsibility, right? but that he had you relationally emotionally like he was present yes to the extent he's he's capable he's also equipped for that yeah and so absolutely physically present i mean i remember to describe my dad tim me being 44 and thinking what he did and getting down in a catcher's squat for hours after work Mm. and just catch balls yeah it's it's a lot easier to stand and play catch with your kid. To get down in the catching squat, forget it. Yeah. And at least me now. I'm, my kids play water polo and volleyball, so there's no catcher squat for me. <laughs> <laughs> and the games end a lot faster, which is great. But point being, he, he spent a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, went camping with us and was there. Now, the processing of emotions and that, not as gifted in. Yeah. Perhaps as mm-hmm. I as I would have liked or could have used help with, but that that isn't a complaint. Yeah. Because presence goes covers a multitude of yeah <laughs> that you know. Yeah, the time spent and the hug yeah. and the yeah and the meals made, even if the chicken was burnt, mm-hmm. it was still food. Yeah. You know, and dry chicken was his specialty. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So they get married. I'm the ring bearer in their wedding. Tim is a believer. He loves Jesus. Mm. He's figuring out his own way. My mom is absolutely not. And she's in the moment of considering Jesus. She's reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. And she's coming across Paul's statement that, hey, all have sinned and fallen short of, glory, of the glory of God. And she is not having it. no way Hmm. if you knew my life this 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 Hmm. on and on i mean there's there's alcoholism there's suicide there's multiple attempts at suicide there's foster care i mean she's Hmm. 
there's enabling, there's, it's this, like, out of the 1940s, prosperous family, throwing money at problems, hmm. not adequately diagnosing problems, yeah. fall out all over the place. Hmm. And my mom, strangely enough, survives it all, hmm. but is often accused Hmm. as being against her family. But the accusation is coming because she's the one brave enough to say something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Before hmm. the suicide occurs. Before. Hmm. You know, so there's, you know, so she's taking this posture of, I'm, in a way, I'm, I'm a victim here. My other husband left because he wanted an open marriage and these other things. Um, but she's a flutist. So the pastor comes. <laughs> we live right across the street from Santa Maria Church of God. And so she's practicing her flute in the corner room, which is the closest room to the church. And this pastor, Howard Leverett, comes across the street, knocks on her door and says, hey, would you be willing? This is the time when special music was still during offertory. Yes. Yeah. And well, would you come and play? Oh. And that's where she kind of gives them both barrels. No, I've been reading Paul and this and what I said earlier. Oh, really? Like, that's amazing. Uh-uh. Not <laughs> <laughs> and Pastor Leverett, in his infinite wisdom, knows not to go toe-to-toe with my mom, which mm-hmm. is really a wise thing, and says, hey, you're seeking God. He'll be found by you. Come and play anyway. <laughs> so good. So that kicks off her bringing the whole family with her. Yeah. And she gets baptized, my sister gets baptized, (laughs) and then how I interpret this thing called Christianity is my dad left me. If I don't join this, the family I live with is going to leave me. Hmm. I should do this. Interesting. So it's not this personal... Yeah. Like, oh, Jesus met me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... This is survival, man. Yeah. That's so interesting because I could say, okay, there's so much here. So, so let me go back. First of all, Pastor Levin, is that what his name is? Uh, Leverett. Leverett. Howard. Leverett. Howard. Shout out to Howard. Mm-hmm. Because, you yeah. know, I mean, I've, I've been a worship leader, part of worship for years. And in different churches at different times, there's various um, arguments about who should be allowed to participate in worship, leading of worship, musicians on stage, and whether, you know, if everybody should have a personal relationship with Jesus, should their life reflect, you know, just all the things. What is the standard? And very good arguments can be made, you know, that their lives should be above reproach, they should be believers, they should be mature in their faith, they're standing up, anyone who's on a platform is seen as leadership, you know, et cetera. And I remember, um, back in the mid two thousands, there was a new worship pastor at a church I was, I was at, and he, we had a lot of paid musicians, contracted musicians that would come in and a couple of them were not believers Mm. and it caused an uproar. And Mm. he came to the Lord because he was a trumpet player Mm. and he was part of a, you know, he was hired to come to a church and every Sunday he was sitting in that orchestra playing and hearing the message and hearing the word and he came to the Lord. And so he just fought vehemently for hmm. this is an opportunity for people that may never enter this place yeah. to be here. And again, you know, you could probably make a really great case either direction, but I love the fact that he invited her and again, had the wisdom not to go toe-to-toe with her, but just say, you're seeking, and God will be found, and not to be threatened by that, yeah. you know? And so that's awesome. Yeah, seriously, not having, like, the desperation to go back to his elders and staff yeah, and say, this is how I evangelize today, you know, whether it's praying the Romans road with someone. Yeah. You know, and these are old references, if you don't know what that is. It's, yeah. But it, yeah, he wasn't, 
He wasn't desperate. Yeah. Well, he wasn't desperate. He also wasn't... um, He didn't have a view of the church nor God that is so frail that it can't withstand, you know, someone who's seeking, walking through the doors, right? Yeah. And serving. Yeah. And the fruit of that decision is your family, Mm -hmm. you know, coming to Jesus. Now it's interesting. Now fast forward to your, your, your comment about that decision for you to get baptized was more of a strategic move. Yeah. I think in some ways, in some sense it was. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Well, again, this was, this mid Mm eighties when this is happening. And at that time, in that particular tradition, how salvation was presented had a lot of, hey, <laughs> this is really good for you because if you don't do this, right, the other option, well, you don't want the other option. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that I was obviously impressionable and afraid of hell. And then number two, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this, is, this the is what my family's doing. So, yeah, well, yeah. okay, uh, I think I should... Yeah. I should do this. And in a way, life is happening to me. Yeah. And there's there's external pressures. Yeah. To conform. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like in spite of the reality of that and kind of what in what were actually those motivators that God was going, "Okay. Yeah, you don't get it yet, but you will." <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, I mean, I, it was a different context for sure, but I had a somewhat similar moment when I was 12 and my family, nobody in my family was saved. And my mom's best friend came to the Lord, invited my mom to church. My mom told her where she could stick her Bible. And then she had, for some reason, she asked permission to invite me to church. And my mom said, yes. And so she came and picked me up and took me to church and, we got there during worship, and this is the tail end of the Jesus movement. And there, what for me, there was something like, what's happening in this place? Hmm. Like, I want to be a part of whatever this is. And then she just started taking me to church and to different things. So she was just dragging this 12 year old with her everywhere. But I do remember the night that her and her friends drove me home and the nervous energy in the car when they turned, they turned off the car and they turned around and said, Gina, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Oh, okay. And I, I'm just like, okay, you know, whatever, you know, said the prayer. And I'm like, you're going to pick me up on Sunday, right? Because to me, it, it was a little bit more of a strategic, like, if I say yes, and I, you're coming, right? You're, this isn't going to stop, right? right. So it, there was nothing <clears throat> emotional about that moment. There was nothing like... <gasps> <laughs> Jesus, it was literally it's like, a, it was the barter. It was literally like, Let's make a deal. if I do, you will still, okay, great. You know, see a Sunday. And yeah. that was it. But I do feel like the Lord just went, okay. Yeah. And from that point on, I feel like I can see this very evident pursuit. Hmm. Um, anyhow, so you yeah. make the strategic decision. Yeah. What's the next pivotal moment in your journey? I'm thinking about the three things we've already talked about. My bio dad leaving and then that event in kindergarten in the wheelchair. And as well as new dad coming, super excited. And then this whole church and Jesus thing happening. That's all really good. But gosh, there's another really pivotal person he always stood out to me. I'm forgetting his last name. His first name, I believe, is Leander. He was the first man to like, teach me songs, mm-hmm. like Bible songs, and then memorizing scripture and knowing the books of the Bible and different things like that. And again, this is just, it's all head knowledge, but it's, yeah. I'm, I'm doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And he's got a, a big smile on his face. And he's huge. He's a massive human, and he has calluses all over his knuckles. And so either he hits a heavy bag consistently. They were there. They were always there. And he happened to be African-American. And for me, he's 
gosh, I got to give him, give him credit in the sense of he nurtured me mm. and did it extremely well. Hmm. And, and nurture in the sense of delight. Hmm. And like, you can do this. This is for you. Yeah. And you matter. Yeah. And yeah, come on, do it again. Let's try yeah. it again. Yeah. Let's go. That type of very focused, and I use the word intensity now, not to, not intense in delivery, but I believe he carried everyone in that classroom with him throughout the week. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And that when we showed up, he was ready. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> it's a huge gift. Yeah, it's interesting how the Lord oftentimes brings like those almost surrogates in our life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your stepfather was one of those who became, you know, your dad who adopted you. Yeah. This gentleman did as well. Like, they're, they're different pieces of that. And I think and oftentimes it's, it's because there's that, you know, humans are broken and there's different... The word father encompasses so much, mm-hmm. right? Tim could father... There's a part piece that Tim did really well. There's other things he didn't yeah. do as well. And then... Leander comes and he he brings another yeah. aspect or another facet of that fathering. For sure. That's really significant. Maybe another important, it's not an event, but part of the rhythm of church was me seeing pastors. They could be junior high pastors, mm-hmm. high school, young adult, college, whatever. And wanting to be, in one way I would... Initially, I said, oh, I want to become a pastor. I want to be like them. Hmm. This has been really good for me. But the, un- the unhealthy part of me was, well, they're in a position of power in a community. And I'm very interested in that power hmm. coming out of a dead that left a wheelchair moment. Other moments as well, but we're just using that as a touchstone. And just things happening. And I don't want things to happen. Yeah. And in this community, I'm a part of now. The person who generally is the one who has the most power is the pastor. Yeah. For better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't something I realized about myself probably until I was mm. 29. And at that time, I was close to finishing my Master's of Divinity. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. So let's fast forward. So... You've had these seminal moments. You're, you've come to the Lord. You're in a church setting. You are admiring these pastors. And there's this, these things in you that are like, oh, I want to do that, even though at that time you're not understanding exactly what's motivating you. You have these people that have helped form you and shape you. So then you get graduate high school and you decide you want to go to seminary? Like, no, what, what is I, that decision? Well, to, I barely graduate high school. I mean, let's be real. I didn't walk with my class. So when you graduate high school... I graduate high school. I'm, I'm not going into any college. No college is going to accept me, except for Harvard City College. Academics is the thing that I am sabotaging. Yeah, I'm not doing drugs. I'm not drinking. I'm not crazy that way. But if, I'm, if I had to choose a category of self-harm, it would be lack of integrity mm-hmm. and, and lack of actually applying myself applying the mind God had given me. Yeah. And, and so I graduated with a, a stellar 1.79 GPA and <laughs> yes. then improved upon that in junior college to get a whopping 0.79. Wow. Uh, I think the only things that transferred when I did finally go to a four year was PE credit. <laughs> it was one unit. So Amazing. really those junior college years, I mean, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, was a part of it afterward, reading a bunch of C.S. Lewis. Mm. So I started to read on my own volition and read read a lot without being asked, which was novel for me. So that was your high school season, and then you graduate. What brought you back to choose to to get an education, higher education? And then what brought you then into pursuing like seminary? After YWAM, I was still in that mode of trying to earn, Mm. trying to prove. And so I thought higher education or undergrad to go back to have a liberal arts education 
so that I could talk about multiple things and be more conversant in other people's interests to then be better equipped mm -hmm. to keep on that same desperate uh, trying to save people. Yeah. As if you could. <clears throat> yeah, right? <laughs> Good grief. It's ah, funny. Yeah. So then I found myself at a little college in California. That's where I meet Kaimana. I graduate, apply to seminary. Um, shortly, a year after Kaimana and I are married, she's finishing up her senior year. I'm finished carpenter at the time, working on really high-end houses. No, sorry. Prior to marriage, I was in seminary. Then we get married and I stop seminary because I need to make money. <laughs> <laughs> and so I do finish carpentry for a while. Come on, gets pregnant with our firstborn. We freak out. How can we live where we live? Let's go back to her family's house in Hawaii. That doesn't last. Desmond is born, and we're there for less than a year, and we come back. And the irony of that, if you're listening, my goodness. Pregnant, freak out because of money. Oh, let's go to Hawaii. That doesn't work. Let's go come back on. now and go into seminary. <laughs> what the? It's so stupid. But anyway, that's what happened. Uh, I think seminary was really healthy for me. Mm, and it isn't good. for a lot of people. Yeah. I think seminary is the gift that helped me recognize something that was so subterranean in mm. terms of my push to move towards a pastoring role, mm. which was that, hey, you're, you're after power, man. Mm. That's not what this is about. That's mm, good. That's a gift because upon graduation, it wasn't a quick, hey, let's take whatever job's going to pay the bills. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't head pastor material at the time. At least I didn't think I was. So I was only looking at anything from junior high to young adult. At the time, I had two kids. This was in 2012, and the economy was still recovering, and churches are generally the last place to recover. Yeah. It was an interesting time. Shortly thereafter, Desmond turned two, and that was very important for me. I think that's a pivotal faith moment. When he turns two, I thought I had done a lot of work in the sense of forgiving, forgiving Alan and that whole idea of, hey, you left when I was two. What's mm -hmm. up, man? Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. My feet are a mess. And you think now's the time to take off? Okay. And that's, that's confusing. And, and what really highlighted it is you suddenly become a dad of a two-year-old yeah. who's super healthy and you can't you can't imagine a reason to leave. Yeah. And so I won't say it set me back, but I did not want to speak with Alan. I yeah. was furious. Yeah. Because it was, it was a new knowledge and experience that I just found myself in. Yeah. Singing songs and holding him and waking up at 5.30 in the morning to a candlelight breakfast of oatmeal and then going and reading seven books to him before the date, before anyone else got up, because yeah. he's just an early riser and having these types of experiences, wondering, what were you thinking, Alan? Yeah. And then moving through the, maybe coming to terms with, Alan isn't my responsibility. Hmm, it's good. And God's taking care of him. Mm. Not in a justice right. way, but I'm sure that is a piece, mm -hmm. but I don't need to know how. Yeah. I don't need to be a part of that. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's good. But it also has shifted how I look at forgiveness in general. Mm. I think a lot of times in the past, an experience would happen, oh, I'm upset. Okay, is that lingering on forgiveness? And you think about it, and okay, maybe it is. And in that moment, that lingering unforgiveness, think that that's a deficiency. Like, be guilty that I didn't forgive well enough. Mm, hey, this yeah. is supposed to be a forgive and forget thing, right? I mean, mm. you're supposed to be like your father. You're a Christ bearer. He's the perfect image, so be like him. So when you forgive, in your finite, limited knowing, yeah. good luck with that. 
Yeah. You're not even, like, physically, you, you can't. Yeah. And so I, I live into this. I'm a father of a two-year-old now, and this is the thing. I'm having tension. I'm feeling guilt because I thought, wasn't I supposed to have forgiven him? But why am I having this anger? And then coming through it and then looking at, okay, no, 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 no. This is normal. Yeah. This is a normal part of forgiveness. Yeah. But it also makes Christ's forgiveness a lot more poignant. Yeah, it's good. If we ascribe to him an all-knowing category and an infinite category to his nature yeah. so that when he forgives, it is from an all-knowing perspective. Right. So there's no more for God to live into Right. in the unseen and seen consequences of our brokenness. Yeah, 100%. And so when it's forgiven, it's absolutely. there's no new experience yeah. that he's going to discover, Right. that God is going to discover in the future. It's, yeah. But humanly... Yeah, like well, we, it's, we it's, it's layers, you know, Yeah, it's layers to an onion. I, I feel like the Lord brings us to a place and we have maybe the initial hurt or a revelation of, oh, that's painful or disappointing or whatever. And we bring that to him and there's a, a level of healing and we can live in that. And it's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's great. And then... A little bit down the road, the Lord's like tapping you on the shoulder. Guess what? There's a little more here. It's time. Because I think, honestly, in some ways in his kindness, some of that is his kindness knowing that we're not ready for that that next layer. Mm -hmm. For some of us, for some of it, it's like that situation where you you don't even know that that layer exists until you are now a father of that two-year-old and you're in that place. And now suddenly... There's a whole other dimension of the loss and the abandonment that you didn't even wasn't even on your radar before that now suddenly is in your face. Right. And now you're having to grieve a whole different layer right. and and process that. And that's not a I didn't forgive completely. That's a yeah, there's a whole nother layer to this that needs to be healed. There's a whole nother piece of this that right. needs to be made whole. There's a whole nother piece of this where you need to be allowed to grieve and be angry over and surrender mm-hmm. that loss, you know? Right. And that is part of the journey and that is healthy and that is healing. But the enemy wants to come in and accuse you that, wow, if you were a real Christian, you would have, mm-hmm. you'd be fine with it. So since we're on that, you know, speaking as a father now, a father of four, mm-hmm. how has your view of God as father shifted and how do you receive him as father now versus when you were younger? You're no longer the boy who was abandoned by mm-hmm. your father. You're no longer the five-year-old in a wheelchair Right. Um, post-surgery you're no longer the kid um agreeing to be baptized just so that you can escape hell and you won't lose your family mm-hmm. you're no longer the high school kid who has both love and a little bit of self-righteous in him that's trying to have conversations with his bio dad to both save him, but also in some ways judge him. <laughs> yeah. You're no longer the guy who wants to be a pastor because for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, you're no longer the, the young man who now has graduated seminary with a better perspective, but um, still not entirely sure where your place is or, and now you're a father of not just a two-year-old, you know, you're a father of four. How does Colin, as God's son, how do you receive God as father now? And how do you see God as father now? And how has your heart been shifted and your understanding of spiritual family been shaped? Yeah, it's a really big question, Gina. <laughs> you're welcome, Colin. Just take your time. My first thought is that silence does not equate absence. That's good. In terms of God being my dad, that that silence is, yeah, is not absence at all. Yeah, it's good. There is a presence, like a, a baseline 
hey, you're with me. As being a father of a 14-year-old, 12-year-old, 9-year-old, and 6-year-old now, like the concept of father is privilege and delight, responsibility. Transitions are most important. Knowing when your kid doesn't need you to have an answer. They only want a hug. So sometimes I'm interpreting God's silence as space to receive a hug rather than an answer. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I love that because if you if you take those words that you just said, privilege, um, delight, responsibility, mm-hmm. and you look at that as God towards us, privilege, delight, responsibility, mm-hmm. then how does that frame and change our understanding and our perception of what seems like silence or what seems like, God, you're not answering this question. You're not answering my prayer or our perception of when things are difficult. Yeah. I think from the kids, they're agents of healing in my life. Mm, It's good. If Desmond never turned two, and if I didn't have any other children, that experience would not have happened. And that's just him breathing. And being. Yeah. And so now at 14, that's a memory that I can recall when he and I don't see, he and I don't see eye to eye of this person has helped me heal. Call and remind yourself. Because there are moments where there is severe disagreement and frustration in being able to have the the wherewithal, to not lose your wits in the moment, and recall to mind, this person is a gift. (laughs) Yeah. And without him, you would not know this extent of healing. Yeah, it's good. And he had no idea. Yeah, it's good. And he only knows because you told him. Yeah. And in a way, that's not something he can claim, which makes it even better. Because then it's not workspace for him. Yeah. He's just valuable. Yeah. <laughs> Period. So good. It doesn't need to do it. it. Doesn't need to. He just needs to continue to be. Yeah, and he's a piece of the redemption of yeah. the legacy that he's going to be a bene- beneficiary of, right? Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah, and so the other three, each in their own way, function on that same level. Yeah. Truly, couldn't have asked. Like I'm tearing up and I'm thinking, is this, <laughs> like, what is this emotion? Is this, is this old vestiges of, man, you have it better than you deserve, Colin? Or is it just gratitude? <laughs> yeah, it's good. And, and I'm okay with it being both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. It's, it's such a huge opportunity being a parent and being a part of it. Yeah. Um, but you asked a much bigger question. You know, you had this litany of, you're not this, you're not this, you're not this, and now you're a dad. And how does that shift how God is your father? And delight, even that one word that comes to my mind. And play. Mm-hmm. Play is such a big thing, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it's with, good. With, but I think play even with how meaning is made. Hmm. And that might be a little, ah, I don't know, where are you going with that? Well, bear with me. Like, how... Scripture's read. Hmm. It can be pretty narrow. And it can be loyal to a tradition so much so that it's at the exclusion of some really fruitful spiritual practices that Hmm. may have been from the Orthodox part of the faith or the Benedictine monks or Luther, despite all of his faults. And so playing in the text, in the sense of how you read it. Yes, enter the world of Scripture, and it is there to form us, and it, it is God's Word, and it is living and active, but it's also to be played with. Yeah. Well, it's deep and wide, right? And wrestled with. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I think sometimes it's, it can be, unfortunately, we got to get that right answer of what this thing is saying. Yeah. And in the process of getting to that right answer, you've dissected the frog, and the frog is dead. (laughs) 
Yeah. And so now God is dead to you. Mm. And I think that's some of other seminarians' experiences. Yeah. They've gotten really good at dissecting the frog. Yeah. And now they have no ballast. Yeah. God is no longer alive because it's... It could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be this. Right. I don't know. Yeah. That's a tangent, but... You know, life is mm-hmm. full of seasons, and you're in a season as a father, as a husband, for kids. Like, you are stewarding yeah. the things that you've been entrusted with, mm-hmm. and you're doing that as a son, as God's son, right? Yeah. And there's going to be days that are going to have what feel like revelatory moments and holy moments and sacred spaces in that. And then there's going to be a lot of days that are, you're doing the thing because this is what you do. You get up in the morning and you get cereal for the kids and you're shuffling them to school and you're going to work and all that stuff. And, but all of that in, in the showing up Mm. in the presence, in the hug in the conversations, in the discipline, in the creativity, all those things. Yeah. You are stewarding the things that God's giving you. And in that stewardship, you and Kaimana both are redeeming a legacy from your own families and upbringings and surrendering this one and stewarding this one as unto the Lord, you know, with who he made you to be, you mm. know. And that's significant. It's powerful. Yeah. God's letting me enjoy being a dad. <laughs> yeah. I, I love being a dad. It's so good. Thanks for hanging out and mm-hmm. having a conversation. Yeah. It's pretty cool to see how redemption plays out in our lives and to see the significant redemption that you've experienced in that you are here fully enjoying and recognizing the privilege of being a father mm-hmm. and being able to be that and be all the things for your kids that you didn't have at certain points gleaning from the deposits made by different people and the Lord and then being able to be in this place where you're present enough to recognize the gift that's in front of you and be able to receive it. I think we forget how our spiritual lives are not apart from our day-to-day lives and the integration of that, how God meets us and moves in seasons and beautiful things and hard things and the significance of his presence in the ordinary and the day-to-day, but the extraordinary that's in each of, each of those things. Well, before we leave, I want to just take a moment There's a couple of things that I want to highlight. Uh, The first is Pastor Leverett, the sweet man who heard a woman across the street practicing flute and was compelled to invite her to come and play. And he accepted her where she was. He didn't require anything of her, uh, just invited her. What would it look like for us to see people like he did? To make a place, a safe place for people to come and to bring who they are. And as they do that, to discover the love of Jesus. The second thing I wanted to pause and reflect on When Colin and I were talking about God as Father, we talked about God's silence not equating absence, and Colin said, God's silence is a space to receive a hug rather than an answer. You may be in a place of waiting right now, a place where you feel like God is silent. What would it look like to receive him in that silence to become aware of his presence in the silence is it an opportunity for a hug 
There's something beautiful about um, the privilege, delight, and responsibility that Colin expressed about being a father. But imagine that privilege, delight, and responsibility for God as our Heavenly Father. That He counts it a privilege and a delight to be your Father. And there is weighty responsibility in that privilege. So how do we view then His love, His provision, His silence at times, His conviction, His invitation? How do those things shift when we recognize the posture of privilege, delight, and responsibility of a father? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you are a perfect father, that you delight over your children, that you're singing over your children. Thank you that you are present. Father, would we recognize the moments and the people in our lives that have demonstrated the miraculous reality of your presence and your love. And Lord, would you call us, grow us, form us to be demonstrations of that presence like Pastor Leverett was. Would we see people and make space for people so that they can encounter your love? And we ask this in your name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sacred Space Podcast, and I would encourage you to subscribe if you haven't. Would you please take the time to rate and review us on whatever platform that you're listening, and would you consider, prayerfully consider, making a tax-deductible donation to support the production of this podcast and other things produced by Stockton Ministries? We would really appreciate your partnership to be able to bring resources and care to people. Well, I hope you have an amazing week that you know that you are seen, that you are known, and you are loved. We'll see you next time in the sacred space.